I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hello and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Alan Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberlain. And I'm your host, Mary Wilkerson. We are so excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure to subscribe and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, welcome and thank you so much again for joining us. How are you today? I'm doing great, thank you. Uh, moving here into autumn, right? We're we're yes. in the the very center of it right now. We sure are. We sure. And, and the season of your birthday. I know you celebrated your birthday this past month. How was that for you? It was a great celebration. I'm uh, always so grateful for the people who write uh, with their good good wishes and who promise me their prayers. Oh, that's very nice. Do you get do you get quite a bit of fan mail there, uh, Archbishop? Uh, fan mail. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I don't it. know how to compare it with anything else, uh, but the people are very kind. Yeah. Oh, awesome. that's nice. I know another big event that happened this last month uh, was that you had the convocation. I know that's a, a semi-annual event where the all the Archdi- archdiocesan priests gather, uh, usually kind of somewhere up north uh, in Michigan. It sounds like. Uh, how how did this last year? How did this year go? You know, I think it was the first time having a convocation since COVID. Um, was it a great experience? How did things go, Archbishop? It went very well, Mike, and as you said, a great experience. It uh, don't think we're quite back to normal yet, but it Mm. certainly uh, helped us feel like uh, we were uh, moving through the aftermath of COVID. And it was uh, really a blessed time for us. Uh, Our uh, speaker, the uh, person who gave us our conferences was uh, Bishop Flores, who used to be Mm. our auxiliary, now in Brownsville. He was, of course, excellent, really, profound reflections on the priesthood and the challenge of the priesthood today. So mm. many ways blessed. That's great. I know even just speaking to a few priests uh, here at work where, I, where I'm at in my parish um, and some other friends of mine, uh, I just asked them how the convocation went and they all had very positive things they said. They, and they, they all very much said that um, uh, Bishop Flores did a wonderful job and really presented some great, great reflections. So I know it seemed like from their end, they felt like it was a really positive experience, which is great. Yes. Sure. I was going to say the same thing. It's it's interesting whenever uh, the convocation happens and the priests come back from it, it really does seem to be just such a necessary time of fraternity and learning together with people that share this experience, right? Because I'm sure there's a bit of isolation in terms of the ministry that um, priests and deacons are doing. And so to have a moment just to be together, right? Is that a big fruit of it, just the community of being with one another? It is indeed a, a common experience. Uh mutual support, uh, the fraternity of it. Uh, yeah. Uh, Bishop Boyer uh, was the preacher for the, the Masses we celebrated daily, and that was a real uh, constant theme in his preaching, was how uh, we're partners in mission, that right. uh, the Lord sends us out two by two for a reason. Uh, for the mutual support we can give one another and the mutual challenge we can offer one another. Mm. What a cool experience to be able to get together. I love that, um, you know, the Holy Spirit makes way for that special time for the priests and deacons in our diocese. Yes, uh, the priests uh, met mostly uh, on a a weekday uh, through that week, and then the weekend, uh, as we left, the deacons and their wives arrived for their convocation. And that was, for them, a great blessing. I was able to be part of that as well. 
my dad is a deacon and so him and my mom always look forward to going there and again it's the community it's the learning together it's it's awesome i'm so glad that you guys all had that opportunity this month to be able to share with one another and then we heard that last month you also visited the vatican as part of your role as the vice president of the united states conference of catholic bishops how was that well it's uh a great uh, blessing, really. Mm -hmm. The high point, of course, was the audience the Holy Father Pope Francis gave us. We got to uh, talk to him about our priorities as bishops in the United States, uh, mm. and uh, he offered us words of encouragement and guidance. So mm, that, that was really a blessing. And were you there with, you were there with other bishops from the United States? Only one other. Okay. Uh, it's the, we use the Italian word, the presidencia, the uh, uh, presidency, uh, the, uh, Archbishop Gomez, the president, the Archbishop right. of Los Angeles, myself mm -hmm. as vice president, and the priest who uh, assists us as the general secretary. So Wow, so was it we, just you three in the audience with him? Yes. With the Holy right. Father? Wow, that's awesome. It really was. Awesome. It is. <laughs> and then crazy. we had the chance to be uh, with a number of the other leaders of the various Vatican departments mm -hmm. to talk about our, our kinds of cooperation, uh, things that they have as priorities, our priorities, how we can uh, you know, work in communion, really. Yeah. Mm. So what a busy month for you. <laughs> yeah, seriously. That's a lot in one month, to gather with all your priests and then to go and you know meet with the Holy Father. <laughs> yeah, it was actually, I think, the other way around, but it I has was, been busy. I yeah. bet. I bet. Well, very cool. And I'm, I I know you know this, but be assured of our prayers as you, both your roles of leadership, both within the USCCB and with our archdiocese. I know that the Spirit is using you, and I'm sure sometimes it's a little overwhelming, but we're praying for you. Well, uh, I take great consolation in a prayer that Cardinal Newman wrote that hmm. even uh, the Holy Spirit can even use our confusion and our stumbling. So right. I, I give God even my, my limitations. I think yeah, that's, that's, awesome. uh, uh, that's the real uh, good news about salvation in Christ hmm. is that uh, even our failures can serve him if we abandon ourselves to the Father along with him. The spirit of surrender. That's fantastic. Well, I mean, everybody's got to, everybody has to deal with coming up short and failing. Yeah. And, uh, I think to, to have hope in the midst of that and even uh, through it is, mm. is great good news. That's mm. what I preach. Mm. So in recent weeks, the Universal Church has embarked on a global synodal process called a synodal church, communion, participation, and mission. By God's providence, this global synod is kicking off right at the fifth anniversary of our own synod, Synod 16, which many of us will remember. To mark this occasion, today we wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about our own kind of synod identity here in the Archdiocese of Detroit. Before we really get into it, though, I think it's worth it to take a second and talk about the basics because I think even if we've heard of Synod 16 and now this kind of synodal church, I think some of us are still a bit confused on what a synod is. So could you start by talking to us a little bit about what is a synod, what is its purpose, kind of a sure. background on that. Happy to, uh, always ready to play the uh, the professor. Yes, uh, the role Mary. of the teacher. <laughs> Thanks. Um, well, it's a Greek word for, for an assembly or a meeting. But there's a, uh, something very interesting in the etymology of it, uh, sun hodos, 
uh, on the road together. It has very dynamic meaning that yes, it's an assembly, but it's an assembly about moving forward together. And so the emphasis is not just coming together, but listening to one another in order to walk alongside of one another on the path that, that we discern. Um, I thought a lot about uh, the very nature of a synod as I was trying to give leadership and direction for Synod 16. I think one of the most important points to make is that a synod is a grace reality. It's a new covenant reality. Uh, there's a tendency perhaps for us, especially with our uh, uh, democratic uh, republican background, you know, we live in a democratic republic, to think about a synod as something like a legislature, maybe mm -hmm. even something like the school board, and the members of the synod as delegates. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's not really, uh, it's something like that, but it's really quite different as well. Uh, they, those who come to the synod are, are participants, they're not representatives. Uh, by God's providence, they've uh, been selected principally to hear the Holy Spirit. That is uh, the first and fundamental task of, of a synod participant, uh, to listen to the Holy Spirit, which means to be under the Word of God. I remember I was in the ninth grade when the, the Great Synod, the Vatican Ecumenical Council, number two, began. And uh, I was very impressed that every day the Synod began by enthroning the Word of God right at the center of the Synod Hall, indicating clearly that, yes, there were a board of cardinals who helped direct things, mm -hmm. but really presiding over everything is the Word of God. And so to participate in a Synod is it's essential for those who are participants to have formation in the Word of God, what we're now calling an evangelizing catechesis, not just to know the doctrine of the church, but to recommit to it uh, in order to be able to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. Mm -hmm. And that always involves repentance. I don't think anybody can participate in a synodal church without uh, being uh, engaged in ongoing uh, repentance mm -hmm. and recommitment to Christ. I think that's very, very important. That's so interesting, Archbishop. And I know, you know, so that's a great background on, on synod in that in that sense. So, I mean, and specifically speaking about the Archdiocese of Detroit a little bit, tell, can you share with us just a little bit of the history of the AOD and like, you know, Synod 16 and, you know, the resultant movement of Unleash the Gospel and, you know, kind of what you were saying there about the Word being at the center how did that play its part within the experience of Synod 16 here uh, locally? Well, we called the Synod, we, we gathered in the Synod precisely in response to a word that we've already heard from the, from, uh, the church, especially from St. John Paul, from Pope Benedict, and uh, from uh, Pope Francis to be a joyful missionary church. So mm -hmm. uh, it, even convoking the Synod was a response to uh, the word and uh, to prepare for the deliberations, we took a very significant amount of time for prayer. Uh, yeah. We prayed for at least a year for a new Pentecost uh, so that we would be open to the movement of the Holy Spirit. What, what was he, what is he telling us about how to be a church on mission? Mm -hmm. 
and uh, a very significant part of preparation for the synod was formation, uh, mm -hmm. come encounter Christ. And we insisted that anyone who wanted to be a participant in the synod needed to be engaged in, in those experiences right. of, of formation, of uh, evangelization and repentance. And so um, the, I'm, I believe that the, the great fruit we've seen from the synod is a result of uh, all of that being open to the working of the Holy Spirit. Right. Uh, the result isn't uh, uh, the work of men and women. Uh, it's the work of, of the Holy Spirit through us men and women. Mm. When we, it's, it's funny because I remember it was such an exciting time in the church and I was a part of meetings right in the beginning a little bit with like Archbishop Burns. I remember gathering once in a room and I remember this idea of starting with the year of prayer for the new Pentecost. And that was, I, I'm looking at my notes, right? So it reminds me that that was in 2014. So when that kind of year had started, that year of prayer, praying for a new Pentecost, did the archdiocese did you have in the the back of your mind that a synod would be the fruit of this or did would you say that the synod came from being really open to what the holy spirit wanted to do you, you know what i mean which one right. came first the commitment to the synod we knew we were going okay. to have a synod when we uh, uh launched our the diocese on the year of prayer for a new pentecost but we wanted to make sure that uh, the synod uh, we celebrated would indeed be authentic right and for that we needed to have uh, we needed it to be an experience of pentecost an experience of listening and waiting i think there's a real beauty in a, in a confidence that can come from the faithful just to really understand um how intentional it was to pray and to ask because it wasn't you know let's take the month of may to say some prayers to get ready for what the holy spirit might do but a real like a year of praying and asking the holy spirit to be present and i think when we look at some of the fruits of the synod you can see how rooted it was in this kind of prayerful understanding that this is god's movement within the church not only have we had this experience five years ago of celebrating the synod Mm -hmm. uh, it's changed us, I think. Mm -hmm. Now, it's, it's certainly launched us on the path of Unleash the Gospel, all the fruits that are coming from that. Today, particularly, we think about uh, families of parishes as a way to uh, group our parishes together to be effective uh, agents of uh, the new evangelization. Mm -hmm. But I think it, it gets even more deeply into the roots of our diocese. Uh, mm. I, I find when we meet together, uh, there's a, a greater spirit of docility to, to the Holy Spirit when I'm with councils and other gatherings, and I believe it's that case in uh, uh, parish councils and parish finance councils. And I also think uh, we pray more. Uh, mm -hmm. I think we've uh, mm -hmm. uh, a more ardent, less perfunctory prayer as yep. we, uh, we gather together to listen to the Holy Spirit. I think we've gotten some new habits out of all of it. I yeah. think so too. Archbishop, I know we're going to speak more about Synod 16 specifically, but I did want to ask kind of just looking back again a little bit more into the history would you say that there's a relation between synods and like a little bit of the history of some of the previous synods that have taken place here in the Archdiocese of Detroit and, and there may be relation to Synod 16? Is there a relation there? The synod that the Cardinal Dearden led us through after the Second Vatican Council to uh, uh, implement the council's uh, 
spirit and directives here in the mm -hmm. archdiocese was a, a quite a different uh, approach than synods that had uh, diocesan synods we had, had earlier. It was mm. much more in a, a general engagement of the whole people of God, really mm -hmm. reflecting uh, the constitution on the dogmatic constitution on the church about the church as the people of God. And I think there's a great relationship between that synod, which took place in 69, and we called Synod 69, mm -hmm. uh, and the current, uh, and Synod 16. I think, the, they, I think Synod 69 helped prepare us mm -hmm. for Synod 16. 60, mm -hmm. Synod 69 was about uh, transforming our diocese into uh, a local church of the people of God, everybody making a contribution, people mm. being accustomed to participate uh, in uh, moving forward the life of the church. I think Synod 16 then was a way to use that experience and all of the, the what had all that had been accomplished in those what 50 years or so mm. yeah. mm -hmm. to focus now on uh, to focus outwardly, and to uh, direct those energies of participation into uh, the work of evangelization. I don't think Synod 16 could have happened the way it did if we hadn't had uh, our years of experience of uh, parish councils, uh, 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 vicariate councils, uh, the Archdiocesan Pastoral Council, the Presbyteral Council, all the, the organs of participation that had gotten firmly established after Synod 69. Yeah. Well, and it's funny, too. It does seem like there's obviously this this corollary or relation between, you know, obviously the Second Vatican Council, you know, an ecumenical global church council, Synod 69 held here locally to see how we implement Second Vatican Council, essentially. And then Synod 16, which is an extension of that, it's kind of like, okay, 50 years later, how are we doing in some ways? Are we uh, living out the Second Vatican Council and, you know, uh, its main precepts, or or how do we also improve upon how we're doing that as well? So it it is funny. I know people, you know, claim how the church kind of moves slowly, you know, um, but, you know, you have, you know, large ecumenical meeting, then more local meetings, and then there's that that slow development um, in, in seeing it take on flesh, if you will, at the local level, right? I mean, is that how? Yeah, I think that's a very good way to put it. And, uh, uh, it it has over these years since uh, the Second Vatican Ecumenical Council uh, been an appropriation of the Council's insight that the Church is the people of God, hierarchically mm -hmm. ordered, of course, mm -hmm. but it, it, there's a universal call to holiness mm -hmm. and a universal call to mission. You referenced, um, Archbishop Ignoran, the Come Encounter Christ worship nights that we had leading up to the Synod, and you also noted, uh, referenced this this importance of repentance before going into something like this. And I remember there was a Mass celebrated, the Mass for Pardon, right before the Synod opened, and how powerful that experience was. Um, do you recall that Mass? Can you tell us a little bit about it? So this was right before we began uh, the work of the Synod. There was this, this Mass for Pardon. I vividly recall it, and <clears throat> it really uh, uh, grew out of listening to the sacred scripture. Mm -hmm. Our Lord's uh, inaugural uh, speech 
for mm. moving into mission was repent and believe in the gospel, mm. uh, something we hear uh, Ash Wednesday every year. And so if we're going to, if we were going to uh, live this gospel mystery of uh, joining Jesus on mission, we had to have this, this very specific moment, this time of repentance, mm. and particularly to uh, repent of all the ways communally and individually uh, we have hampered uh, the hearing uh, and the preaching and the witness to the gospel. Mm. It, it's in that the pair have to go together, right. repent and believe. And I think it started us off on a, on a, on a, a different, we were in a different disposition after that massive pardon to be able to move into the synod. So it was a really profound moment, I think. Well, I think it, it underscored the fact, Mary, that uh, having a synod, living, the, actually the, the verb that the church uses is celebrating a synod, that celebrating the synod is not our work. And if it were only our work, it would be terribly inhibited by the mm -hmm. fact of uh, this, the sinfulness we bring to it. Right. But because we confess our weakness, our failure, God can be strong in, in the synod we celebrate and transform even our weakness into, into a way to, to uh, advance the work of his kingdom. Yeah. You know what I think is beautiful about the Synod as well, and I just remember being, like Mary was saying, it was a very exciting time, you know, and I remember, you know, being on some different uh, committees myself and everything, you know, and I, and I think it's just there's a beautiful movement there leading up to the Synod, especially the thought of like, okay, let's let's have a Synod, and that means obviously the prayerfulness and asking the Holy Spirit, so there's a prayerfulness that's there, and then asking for pardon, but then also listening. I know listening sessions were a very key piece or integral piece before the Synod itself, uh, and I was blessed that um, Bishop Burns, I was a part of um, the team that kind of took all the data from the listening sessions. So, you know, mm -hmm. 240 different meetings involving tens of thousands of Catholics at every local church within the archdiocese, uh, you know, had these meetings to really try to listen and discern the spirit from within its people mm -hmm. um, and where the spirit is guiding us and what are we to do, what are we not to do. And, and from looking at all of that data was where kind of the, um, the main the propositions, uh, the propositions, we, we right. called them. Right. Yeah, yeah. And what, you, you were part discussed. of that. that. You did a great job. I, I, oh. I wondered how you are going to pull that off. That was yeah. really great. <laughs> Good job, we, Mike. We had a lot of, I call. I, I jokingly called them conclave-style meetings because we would have like eight hours. We'd just lock ourselves in a room and just go to work. And I uh, yeah. doing that. Oh, yeah. man, that was it, was, it was fun, though. It was really, and what I remember feeling so, what was amazing about it in my on my end, just, you know, obviously I'm just a servant to the whole thing, but you could really, really sense and feel the spirit moving. And you just, mm. you know, when you're part of some of those committees, it was beautiful to see. And so, you know, in my opinion, I, I love the whole sense of a synod because uh, it's a very large communal sense of what each of us should be doing individually, right? You know, listening right. to the spirit, praying, asking for pardon, you know, all of those steps and moves, but it's a very large communal sense of that, right? It is. Uh, I would say two things about it. Uh, first of all, you talked about listening. So... You, under the direction of uh, Archbishop Burns at that time, uh, your group in, that, in your conclave, you were listening. <laughs> what, what did you hear? But you were listening to the fruit of other people's listening. Right, uh, right. What uh, the parishes uh, in their participation sessions, 
what had though what had the participants heard what had mm-hmm. the rank and file heard from the holy spirit it, it was mm-hmm. always you know this is the marian dimension of the church mm-hmm. uh, to hear the word of god and ponder it in our hearts to to always be attentive to to listen the other thing i would i want to say about all of this is uh, you know talking about the pope says we should be a synodal church Mm-hmm. Now, we can't be constantly celebrating a synod in its formal right. sense, <laughs> right. but you, you, Mike, talked about how this, uh, change, this creates a culture. There's a kind of culture of synodality, which mm-hmm. is always about listening, always about repenting, and always about uh, working together. Uh, on, on mission. That, that I think, is what the Holy Father has in mind for the church, yeah. uh, to uh, Im, uh, imbue the church with this, this culture of synodality, because uh, what the Holy Spirit wants to do to transform our culture into the kingdom of God, he will tell us. Uh, we need to be listening to what he will direct us to do along the way, the path he has for us. And if we don't listen uh, with our hearts open, according to what the scripture teaches us, we have to be careful not to misinterpret our own bright ideas for the will of God. But if we listen attentively with repentant hearts, evangelized hearts, uh, he will show us how to accomplish what otherwise uh, could look like an impossible task, yeah. to convert the world to Christ. You know, it's, I have um, so many fond memories of the actual synod being there. For me, one thing, it still makes me emotional when I think about it, is when we had all gathered at St. Aloysius to begin, and each person was invited to come forward to and make an oath of fidelity to the church as we um, began the Senate. And it was a really uh, signs and symbols, things like that just really affect me. And it was such a profound moment of in my life, feeling so tied to the church and so confident in the spirits work within our church. Uh, so whenever I think of a Senate, that's like my big memory that it makes me emotional five years later. <laughs> when you think of the Senate, Archbishop Vigneron, were there any moments in particular where you were just aware of, um, the movement of the spirit and what he was doing in a really profound way. One thing that comes very much back to mind, Mary, is is listening to the reports of the deliberations of the synod groups, mm. and uh, trying to myself hear and to uh, discern what the uh, the, the groups uh, were saying as they mm-hmm. reported about the deliberations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that was for me a very powerful experience of my role. Uh, and the mm. the uh, pastoral letter unleashed the gospel is my attempt to uh, share the fruit of what I heard uh, the synod say. Mm-hmm. Another, you talked about uh, symbolic moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, one that sticks out in my mind is uh, our being on procession from our meeting room mm. in the hotel uh, up Washington Boulevard to the church. And I thought, this is itself a witness to our community that we're a church on the move. Absolutely. Mm. 
Absolutely. You uh, unleashed the gospel. It was funny this weekend. I was I was just meeting with a couple friends from Chicago. Uh, they live there now. One of them was from California. And she just shared every year as retreat, she reads Unleash the Gospel, that there's so much within that document. Um, somebody that's not even in our diocese doesn't isn't tied to the Archdiocese of Detroit at all. Uh, was able to recognize this work. And I know many people from different dioceses have said that, that the fruit that came um, through Unleash the Gospel, that document and your work and your listening to the Holy Spirit, I think has made an impact on, you know, the church in the United States as well, like that God can move even bigger than maybe what I had imagined when we first started the synod. Mm. And, and take it back to the beginning, Mary. Uh, whatever fruit is in the pastoral letter is uh, the blossoming of that year of prayer for a yeah, new wow. Pentecost. Yeah. It's everybody contributed mm. to uh, the message of Unleash the Gospel mm. because everybody prayed for the new Pentecost. Yep. So Archbishop, I know that obviously Pope Francis recently had kind of you know, mentioned this kind of global synodality of a church. Um, in what ways do you see the AOD kind of building upon strengthening, you know, sharing that our experience here to the wider church, but also participating in that kind of more global uh, Catholic synod, if you will? How do you see that kind of playing out in, in future months and years? Well, I think uh, two things. One, we can give our own witness. We have experienced synodality and uh, we can affirm the, the blessing of it and uh, we can offer our observations on uh, uh, challenges and uh, graces that come with trying to be a church uh, on the way together in, in the new evangelization. So I think we can make a contribution from our experience. And also, I think uh, what the whole church is engaged in and what we're participating in in these months can advance our own synodality uh, we can look at ourselves and say, uh, are we being faithful to the graces we were given in Synod 16? Uh, how have we been good stewards of the synodality that God has blessed us with? What more can we do? Uh, how can, uh, uh, what can we learn uh, to continue this path of, of being a, a, a church on mission together? In really practical terms, have you shared our synod experience here in the Archdiocese of Detroit with the Church of the United States or even at a global level what our experience was and how it ended up working? Has there been communication with the Archdiocese of Detroit or will there be as we move to kind of this synodal church? I would say it's uh, part by part. I don't, I haven't uh, stood up in the assembly of the <laughs> bishops conference and said, I want right. to tell you all about synodality. You but sure? I, have really <laughs> I have participated in, uh, in, in various conferences where mm -hmm. I've been invited because of our experience. Mm -hmm. And we do get a lot of inquiries uh, from around the United States and from other mm -hmm. parts of the world, too, uh, mm -hmm. to, uh, that ask us about, uh, about our experience. Mm -hmm. What is the idea with the, the global synod? Is it, it is there going to be a gathering of people like there was a gathering of people in the Archdiocese of Detroit? Do you know what um, what the Vatican's thinking with that? Or is it just type of a type of disposition? What are they? No, I think for? there is going to be a synod of bishops. Uh, okay. I, I, 
and I've seen the timetable for it, but I have to okay. tell you, Mary, I don't remember what it is right now. Sure, mm. that's but, okay. But uh, the Holy Father is planning to bring uh, the Synod of Bishops together to uh, uh, deliberate, uh, to huh. reflect on the graces that are given as in these months. And yeah. uh, I presume while it, the tip, it is bishops who are the official participants, there will be a lot of lay and uh, lay faithful and religious men and women who will hmm. be engaged. Wow, is there a specific kind of theme, or or is there? Um, well, there is Mike. Uh, yeah. The the uh, there's a whole set of documents uh, which we are engaged in uh, examining, and on the basis of. Uh, uh, it's called the, uh, the working document. A new document will be developed that will be the basis for the deliberations. Hmm. Um, you can find it on the website for the Vatican. Yeah, it'd be worth looking at. I think it's yeah. interesting to think of the church doing this. Um, and, and, and this would be different than, I know the Holy Father has called together different groups when he's putting together the document he did, uh, um, Amoris Leche, right, on family. There were there were groups of people brought together for that, right, for listening sessions and understanding. But this is in an even wider kind of gathering? I believe so. Okay. Mm. So since it's been uh, five years since our own synod, as we mark this anniversary, which seems crazy, I can't believe it's been five years in some ways, and then in some ways it's such a part of our culture and our language that it's, it seems like it's been there forever. Um, can you reflect on where you thought maybe we would be at this time? So when, you know, conversations first started about the Synod, did you think that God might lead us here where we are today? Has there been surprises along the way? Um, well, one of the big uh, course changes we've had to make is uh, I knew we would be engaged in parish uh, uh, missionary planning, but uh, I didn't, I had no sense when the synod ended that uh, we would be grouping our parishes together precisely yeah. so that uh, by that sh the shared strengths they bring to being in a family together, they can engage in missionary planning. Uh, now, some of that came about because of uh, historical circumstances, because mm -hmm. of uh, the COVID crisis, the, the yeah. pandemic. But what I think is a, a blessing is that we've been able to do a course correction and uh, take the, the insight of the Synod and apply mm -hmm. it to a, a new set of circumstances that we were not aware of five years ago. Right. Uh, I also, uh, the other thought that comes to my mind is uh, we came out of the Synod with a lot of action steps and there were too many. I think mm. it was uh, uh, overly ambitious and uh, <laughs> we are engaged in... Uh, an ongoing discernment about prioritizing mm -hmm. and uh, organically moving forward with the action steps. You know, it's like a kid at Christmas. You think you can <laughs> uh, hold yeah. so many things in your arms and you realize right. uh, you can only do so much. Yeah. But I do love when you've spoken about, you know, the movement of families of parishes and things that you still see that is is very tied to the synod, right? Like to that movement of the Holy Spirit. It's a pivot, right, that we didn't expect, but God works in unexpected ways. Well, it uh, exactly. It, it yeah. has to, uh, the spirit of Synod 16, the, the uh, commitment to be a church on mission 
has to be what animates our movement into families of parishes. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's just an administrative uh, uh, shuffle. And yep. that takes us back into uh, uh, maintenance, yep. and we have to keep our eye fixed on mission. And that's where the energy comes from. Mm. The world depends on it, you know. Uh, sometimes I, I think it would be easy enough to get into a notion that uh, we want to be on mission for the sake of building up the church. But yes, that's true. But building yep. up the church is a means itself uh, right. to give God glory and to bring uh, eternal happiness to our neighbors. Uh, as I've said very often, God wants his world back. Yes, we get to participate in that, which is great. Uh, this is a tough question because you're not necessarily a mind reader, but Archbishop Vigneron, what do you imagine could happen within the archdiocese in five years from now? So we're five years from the Synod. When you picture what the archdiocese might look like five years from now, can you imagine something? Is there a movement that you think the Spirit is leading us towards? What would you say about that? I think by that time, we should be used to living together in our parishes uh, as families of parishes. Mm -hmm. And uh, we will have uh, made uh, the kinds of structural adjustments uh, that this way of uh, being uh, parishes seems uh, natural to us. And mm -hmm. we will be able to use these new structures uh, for the sake of mission. Mm. I think uh, we will have... Uh, uh, appropriated this new culture and uh, learned how to use it for uh, for the sake of being a, a, a band of joyful missionary disciples. I, I think there'll be a lot. Uh, our parishes will be much more adept at uh, outreach, especially to uh, those on the margin and to mm -hmm. uh, young adults who, you know, the N-O-N-E-S, the nuns. Mm -hmm. um, I think it will be much more focused on that, focused on uh, people who aren't uh, the churchgoers, uh, you know, people who are uh, uh, claim to be Catholic but don't participate, and uh, the people in our parishes who make no claim to be Catholic but who are our responsibility uh, to bring to Christ. I think that'll we will continue on that path. Archbishop, just as we close this, um, just one last question, just for the sense of like any any listener, you know, people that are, you know, not necessarily in church work or anyone who's kind of listening, what would be your uh, request of them living out or the message to them regarding this kind of synodality of the church and synod living within the church? Uh, just, you know, the regular pew Catholic uh, person listening, what, what do you think is the takeaway you'd hope that they hear from this? To uh, appropriate and incorporate into their own Christian life uh, a kind of synodality, which means every day be on watch, be listening to uh, the missionary opportunity that God's going to give to him or her. There'll be something every day by which that person can extend the kingdom of Christ. And then the second thing, the listening, the second thing is to look for partners, uh, people that uh, they can uh, be on mission with. Uh, 
probably the simplest one, the most basic one is husbands and wives. Mm. Uh, how can they extend the kingdom of God in their family, in the neighborhood? And husbands and wives, how can you do it together? Mm. I, I think that would be, uh, you know, we talk about the, uh, the, the domestic church. The domestic church should be a synodal church mm. in, in its own very fundamental way of being on mission and going out uh, together. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. No, it's Absolutely. beautiful. Mary and your family, are, are you a synodal uh, 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 domestic church? We try to be, Archbishop Ignorant. We do. <laughs> I don't mean to put you on the spot. No, no, no. I think you're I, right you know, there. One of, the things, one of the things I really appreciated about our time together, and you just reminded me about it again, is how you have a gift, I think, of always pointing to the domestic church and how these things are being lived out, right? So when you speak, I think to myself, how are we doing this? In which ways are we engaging the world? How are we listening to the spirit within our life? So we try to be. I'm not saying we're perfect at it, but I think the more people like you help to bring to mind kind of this, uh, what we've been charged with, it helps us to kind of keep our path where it's supposed to be. That's how mm. I would answer that. Good question. <laughs> okay. That would be the best thing, I think. Yeah, right. Uh, for uh, the, the renewal, the continued revi uh, reviving uh, vitality of the, the mm. domestic churches the families in, in our diocese. Yep. We've reached the point in the podcast where we get to ask you, Archbishop Vigneron, questions that the faithful have submitted. If you are listening and you would like to ask a question, please feel free to email us at eyesonjesuspodcast at aod.org. Be sure to include your name, your parish, and of course your question. Again, that email is eyesonjesuspodcast at aod.org. Our first question comes from Thomas at Our Lady of Victory. Thomas asks, can you explain some of the differences we see when you celebrate Mass versus a parish priest? For example, the extra candle on the altar, the pallium you wear, how the deacon brings you the book of the Gospels to kiss. Related to that, what are the protocols for when you wear your mitre and hold your crozier? Okay. I would say I've, that I've been these are that's a lot of questions, but they're questions that I've wondered about too. So I'm excited to hear your answer. Well, I, let me step back and uh, offer a kind of a of, of a basis for the difference. Uh, the constitution of the church, according to the will of Christ, is that uh, the local church is governed by a bishop, who is one of the successors to the apostles. And there are, in a, in a diocese, there are two priestly orders. There's the bishop who is the principal priest, and then there are the parish priests, the diocesan priests, and also religious order priests, but the presbyterate who share in the priesthood as well. And so uh, the particular uh, symbols that Thomas talks about are ways to uh, differentiate the priest, the bishop as the principal priest. Uh, it, the liturgy often calls him the high priest of his local church, and uh, the other presbyters, the other priests in, uh, in the pastoral care that mm -hmm. is shared with them. 
we all act in unity, of course, but uh, from the very earliest days of the church, the admonition has been uh, that no, no parish priest should celebrate the Eucharist, for example, outside of communion with uh, the bishop of the local church. Mm-hmm. So uh, the symbols that uh, Thomas is talking about, the extra candle, uh, is a way to symbolize that uh, the bishop of the diocese is present. That's part of what that means. Uh, the pallium is a vestigial scarf. It, actually, in ancient times, it was a symbol of uh, uh, a learned uh, professor. You might oh. think of it as uh, something analogous to uh, uh, an academic hood in the academy today. Right. And uh, they're given, palliums are given by the Holy Father in the Latin church, in the Western church, to archbishops. And it's a sign of the leadership of the archbishop over the other bishops in his province. So okay. it's, uh, uh, you know, we've been around for over, uh, we're getting close to a full 2,000 years. <laughs> right. And so we've got a lot of stuff yes. in our, uh, in our <laughs> way of awesome. living. Right. Uh, the de- kiss the book. Well, again, it's, uh, it's a sign of uh, uh, the, uh, the role of the bishop as the authentic teacher in in the diocese. And about the mitre and the crozier, uh, the bishop wears the mitre when he presides, but not when he prays. He takes it off Mm. when I pray. So, uh, and uh, I use the crozier uh, as another symbol of uh, presidency, of of leadership in in the congregation. Uh, One time I, I, the, liturgical books talk about a bishop using the mitre and the crozier uh, that I don't do it is preaching. I mm. don't preach with my mitre on or the crozier in my hand because when I've tried, it feels very awkward and Probably. it's a trade-off. And so I feel a lot better preaching without it. So oh, that's funny. That makes sense. I like it. Well, now, next time I'm at Mass with you, I'll have a better understanding of the things that are happening on the altar. So that's great. Well, another one people don't notice is that when I do a solemn uh, pontifical uh, presiding uh, liturgy, Uh I'm supposed to wear a dalmatic under my uh, priestly chasuble as a (laughs) sign that I exercise the fullness of holy orders. Hmm. So I do that at ordinations, at the chrism mass, uh, and at very solemn uh, feast days, Christmas, Easter, uh, Holy Thursday, Mass of the Lord's Supper. Huh. You know what I love, too, about your answer and just even what you just said is I think sometimes um, some of the symbolism is lost. So we see it happening and we think, you know, just pomp and circumstance, you know. But there's the, the deep meaning can really, when we understand it, really enhance our understanding of what's happening on the altar and what's happening in the mystery of the priesthood and uh, the execution of public prayer. Like it, it really enhances faith when we understand these symbols. And I think I would hope to see maybe in the years to come a better education with some of these things, especially when we're younger, because a lot of it, I think most of us don't know. Most people my age don't know why these things are happening and they, they enhance our understanding. So that's great. You know, they also help me. Uh, one of the uh-huh. most important symbols uh, for my own identity as a bishop is the ring. Uh, uh-huh. And I, I wear the ring I was given 
on the day I was ordained a bishop. And the ring is given to a bishop very clearly as a nuptial symbol mm. uh, to protect the church the way a husband protects his bride. And uh, when I put it on every morning, it's a I don't. I never think of it as a piece of jewelry. Uh -huh. uh, as I'm sure, Mary, you don't think of your wedding ring as a right. piece of jewelry. Yeah. It's, to me, a reminder of who I am and what God expects me to do. Yeah, that's so, so good, that incarnational piece of, you know, when even during the day, you know, when your finger goes to it or I spin my ring around, it, it, it's those little reminders of the, the life that Aaron and I are, are building together, you know, and what we're trying to do ultimately with the two becoming one. So that's, that's neat to know that you, you kind of have the same experience between you and the church when you wear that ring. Yes. Very cool. Beautiful. Archbishop, our second question is from John at St. Hugo of the Hills. And John asks, why do we generally hear prayers and general intercessions for vocations to the priesthood and religious life, but not so much for the diaconate? I think the principal explanation for that is that the re, uh, restoration of the permanent diaconate is uh, relatively recent in the life of the church. Uh, Mary said 50 years, to, or maybe you said it, Mike, 50 years doesn't uh, seem that long in our history. <laughs> and I think it's partly about habit. Yeah. Hmm. All right. And our last question, it's a bit of a doozy, but it goes right along with what we are talking about today. So Steve at Our Lady Queen of Martyrs asks this. In our February 2020 episode, you answered Steve's question about whether you have been surprised by any of the results from Synod 16. This was pre-pandemic, -pan pre pre-families of parishes. At the time, you talked about being a little astounded by the faithful's widespread and enthusiastic efforts to become part of the movement to unleash the gospel. Since February of 2020, the life of church and society in general has obviously been nothing but surprises. In honor of today's topic, let's revisit the re and repurpose his question. Looking over all the unexpected, the pandemic and its impact, our ongoing transition to families of parishes, what has surprised you most about what God has brought from this time? In what ways have we managed to stay the course and live the fruits of our synod during such a difficult and unusual time? It's a good question for reflection. Well, uh, I'll point out to Steve, it's actually two questions, but uh, <laughs> what cheating. has surprised me? Yeah. Uh, what I give God praise and thanks for, what uh, seems astounding is that even in the midst of this uh, great difficulty of uh, responding to the pandemic, uh, we haven't lost our missionary commitment and our missionary enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. uh, as you said, Mary, we've had to pivot, uh, we've had to uh, recalibrate, but uh, we haven't forgotten. And uh, we've continued to be able to make the synod uh, the guiding light by which we do all of the kinds of recalibrations. Mm -hmm. And uh, that to me is uh, something very much to thank God for. Uh, what, how have we managed to stay on course? Well, I think uh, uh, being very clear that uh, the reorganization into families of parishes is uh, ancillary to then the parish, the families uh, be picking up on uh, missionary strategic planning. Uh, that's going to happen, mm -hmm. I think. That, and that's uh, uh, how one way to stay on course. 
The other uh, thing not to be forgotten is that uh, I believe that our commitment to uh, 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 communications media prior to uh, COVID, but through the Synod, has positioned us very well to use media effectively in responding uh, to the conditions that were brought on by the pandemic. Hmm. Yeah, there's a bit of a, a prophetic movement with that, right? That we already had such a strong communication department going into this time where digital communication became so essential. Right. So, wow. Archbishop, thanks again so much for joining us for this episode and everything. Before we ask for your uh, final blessing and closing prayer, um, I wanted to know, was there any prayer intentions that we and all of our listeners, of course, can keep you in mind with? Any special intentions? Uh, please uh, pray for the bishops of the United States that uh, in the decisions we uh, are called upon to make, we will, uh, we will listen and hear what the Holy Spirit says to us and have confidence in the direction he gives us. Mm. Amen, that's right, because you have the Conference of Bishops meeting coming up in right now in November, right? Yes. Yeah, very good. Yeah, we'll be praying for you. That's a, that's a, we will make sure to add that to our daily prayers and our family and to remind people to do the same. Absolutely. Thank you. Archbishop, once again, I think great conversation. Thanks so much for uh, sharing everything you did about the Synod, and I'm wondering if you might mind uh, closing us with a, a prayer and blessing. Let's all join in giving God the glory. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. May Almighty God bless all of you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoyed listening, you might also like Detroit Stories, a podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find it on your favorite podcast app.